Steve, happy Monday. How are you, man? Really good. Yeah, really good. It's July. Summer's it's July. Uh, summer's full on and, and hunting season's right around the corner. Yeah. I'm glad you're doing good. I'm sore. I didn't <laughs> I didn't tell you about this beforehand, <laughs> Steve, but I was hiking yesterday doing a, a training hike with 60 pounds and a trail that I've hiked hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles on and to do it a lot in the early morning when it's still kind of dark. It's very rocky, like a lot of rocks and roots and uh, stuff like that. And I used to trail run it a ton and have almost died on the trail multiple times, like tripping on roots and like going <laughs> full on Superman, but I always catch myself. But yesterday I was hiking and literally it happened so fast before I knew it. I was, I just went straight down, just flat out landed completely like planked chest hit 60 pound pack on my back smoked oh. me <laughs> didn't have time to catch myself or do anything and uh dude i literally laid there for a second and just had to like take inventory it's like am i dead is my leg broke dude <laughs> it was the hardest i've ever fallen while hiking ever holy period. crap so Good yeah, I think, I think in an attempt to catch myself, I had started to put my hand out, but I basically fell on it and my hand ended up like under between the ground and my chest. And then obviously my body weight plus 60 pounds of pack weight and my hand was on a root. And so I hit like the meat under my thumb, like the palm of my hand. It's like two and a half times the size of it should be and it's all black and blue. So it's also my bow hand, so I can't shoot my bow. Mm. So yeah, pretty awesome. Learn how to shoot with a mouth tab. Yeah, there you go. Well, it's my, so it's my Bobo hand, my hold hand. Oh, oh, gotcha. And obviously the meat right there and I'm all swollen. So it really affects my grip and I can't put any pressure on it. So perfect timing for me because I wanted to be shooting a whole bunch right now in July. Mm. What, uh, I don't know if we talked about this. You're going to Colorado for elk. Wyoming, what are you doing? Yep. Archery elk in Colorado. Um, yeah, essentially last year, um, you know, at the end of our trip, we we kind of figured out a spot um, that makes a ton of sense. It's very, it's logistically difficult. Um, and we found a bunch of elk in there, made sense why they were there, got in there, but essentially ran out of time at the end of the year last year. Um, and with what we know about the unit and pressure and all that, it's like, oh gosh, that makes so much sense. And um, it was one of those things that Jared and I were both talking. It's like, it's going to, it's going to bug us and gnaw at us wondering what it'd be like to go in and hunt there until we go do it. Um, and so we thought about, we have points. We probably could have drawn Wyoming and stuff like that this year, at least general. Um, but yeah, man, it's just, it, it's going to bug me until I go spend some time in there. So that's, that's the plan for this year. And hopefully it pans out. If not in that unit, we have experience in other areas. And so we're not putting all of our eggs in one basket, but we definitely are uh, eager to see what we can make happen for sure. Nice. I like it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, for listeners who've heard speaking of hunting plans, Steve, it sounds like your Alaska hunt is probably on hold or postponed to another year. Um, yeah. You know, kind of just canceled the doll sheep hunt. Um, just the numbers are so poor up there that uh, the outfitter Dwayne we've, we've had on the podcast guys have heard from was just kind of, you know, worried about it, right? Like don't want to go up there and just have a, you know, wouldn't have a miserable time, but if you just can't find animals, uh, that's no good. To, so uh, decided to postpone it for a year and see what kind of happens. Yeah. We're just kind of, you know, we were talking even 
before this conversation. It's good that you can kind of double down and put all your efforts on to uh, what's your Idaho sheep tag now. So yeah, one sheep hunt's canceled, but you still have another still, one. Yeah. That, and that was, I started really talking to people that know the, the Frank church sheep tags and, you know, there's just, even if you do everything right and hunt really hard, um, you still could spend, you know, a lot of days in there before you're, you know, get an opportunity and then whether or not you capitalize on opportunity is a whole nother thing, but just finding a sheep and getting within gun range of it's going to be a difficult task. So, yeah. um, yeah, just, uh, be ready for that one and, and make it, make the most of it. Cool, man. You've been sending me, uh, some pictures and texts on your rifle. That's getting finished. Do you have that sucker yet? Uh, yeah, I don't have it yet. I've been getting pictures, um, from Todd, the, the gun builder up there at divide guns and, it uh, looks pretty awesome. I think it came in right at seven pounds with scope and suppressor on it. So pretty jacked about that weight. Uh, I think that's, you know, uh, yeah, I'm excited to get it and shoot it and see how it, um, how it handles and, um, do going to run solid copper bullet on there. And, um, I think it's getting close to 2,900 feet per second. I ended up putting a 20 inch barrel on it. So with a 125 grain bullet, um, definitely should be a, a lethal pill to kill a sheep and a deer and definitely wouldn't be afraid to point that in the direction of a bull elk either. So nice, man. Six, five Creedmoor, 20 inch barrel. Yeah. With your little thunder beast ultra five suppressor. That's impressive weight for sure. Is that the, I think in the picture I saw that's your, uh, Swaro scope. Is that right? Yeah. Put a Swaro Z five on there for now. Um, just kind of, yeah, I'm curious. I've got the, it's actually a different one. I've got a Z three on my other gun. Uh, and I really, really like that sucker. Uh, the dials kind of like, it doesn't seem Swarovski quality by any means, you know, the, their ballistic turret there. Um, but, uh, you know, it's worked so far what I've tested. So we'll see. I want to do, I'm going to do this, um, do some drop tests, man. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm literally going to sight in the gun at hundred yards, dial it in and drop that sucker on the freaking ground and see how the scope holds up. Um, I'm just curious what's going to happen. I spent some time with some military guys back in March and they were showing me different scopes and, you know, quote unquote quality scopes that they would literally drop the gun from three, four feet in the air and then shoot it. And, you know, you'd be hitting four inches left at a hundred yards. And then there was another couple scopes that were, you know, um, really well quality and same thing and gun stayed true and zeroed. So I definitely, you know, you don't want to find out that the scope can't handle a little fall uh, in the middle of a hunt. Mm. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that prior. Sounds uh, crazy, but uh, you know, like better, better to figure that, figure that out at the range than out there on a sheep hunt. That's one thing I appreciate, Steve. You like, you may have like super high quality gear, but you're not afraid to use it or drop it <laughs> intentionally. <laughs> oh, what's the freaking point of having good gear if it can't take yeah. abuse? <laughs> um, so you mentioned military there, spent some time with military guys and actually a question came up here recently that ties into that. And, um, I'm not sure to be honest with you where this guy was coming from or who just thought of it and was curious, but, um, we had the question, does EXO have any military contracts for packs or do you guys plan to offer any sort of like military specific pack systems? Yeah. We're, I mean, no, we don't have any military contracts. We've never done anything like that. You know, we're just way too small of a company to even kind of approach that. But what has been really cool is just organically, you know, and the more, you know, there's a lot, I guess, the more I think about it, there's a lot of guys that, um, and the military guys I spent time with, it's like, they're doing exactly what we're doing in that 
um, basically they're packing heavy loads over long distances through the mountains. Right. (laughs) And so the pack requirements are pretty stinking similar. So we have been, um, just slowly supplying, um, you know, kind of small units, small special force unit packs, um, to, to guys. So sometimes it's five, sometimes it's 10, sometimes it's 20, um, just different small special force units kind of throughout the world. Really. Uh, it's been really cool to see and see our packs used in that way. And, uh, definitely something I'm kind of slowly working towards is, is building up something more specific to them. Like I said, it doesn't require a lot of changes, which is, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to see, you know, a lot of that content we can't share, um, so much, but getting photos of our packs, you know, overseas and guys using the military, it's, um, you know, something that was never, you know, obviously we're a hunting company and really focused on backpack hunting and, uh, an intended use that, uh, um, I didn't design the product for, but it's cool to see it being used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, a. Uh there's a difference between doing what we're doing, selling to like special forces who have essentially the autonomy to purchase what they want and much more freedom to purchase versus the whole true contract side. Uh, having looked at that, it's, it's a whole different world of not only scale, but just like logistical challenges and things like that for the true contract stuff. So not something we're going after. I mean, we're pretty stubbornly focused on, on being a small, you know, uh, backpack hunting specific company and stay focused in that direction. Cool. Um, so listen, more listener questions. Um, this one came up and I'm throwing this question out there, not for you to deny to answer necessarily, Steve, we can obviously touch on it. And it's essentially a, a theme that's an undercurrent of a lot. What we talk about, but I wanted you guys, the listeners, uh, to kind of help us answer this one from, from your experience. And this guy wrote in and said, what are some common things that guys new to backcountry hunting hunting bring that they should leave out of their pack? What are the things that you pack in the early days, but don't truly need? This guy goes on to say, I have a tendency to overpack. Even on day hikes, I typically carry 25 to 30 pounds when you account for water and a pistol. But from what I've heard, that's in the ballpark of what some guys carry for nearly a week any light you guys can shed is much appreciated. Um, so yeah, we touch on that a lot, Steve, we both talked about playing like, you know, the three, three strikes in your out game. If you pack something on three trips, you don't use it. And it's not like an emergency item, uh, such as a first aid kit or something obvious like that, then consider dropping it. Um, thinking back to my own experience of things I used to pack, but now leave out uh, I mean, there's, it's funny, Stu, we actually, uh, this week we'll be coming out with a podcast about our A to Z gear list. Um, and we essentially took the original episode, I think it was episode four of the podcast when you, you and I first talked about our A to Z gear list six years ago. And we went through that podcast and that gear and talked about what's changed from then to now. So again, that's actually coming Wednesday and you'll hear more about maybe what are some of the differences for you and I from six years ago to today, but it's a lot of, you know, going back to, we've mentioned this, but like the Andrew Skirk idea of packing your fears, um, and just figuring out what you do and don't need. And that comes by experience. What I'm super interested in though, is to hear again from you guys, the listeners on what are those specific things. And I, it, it will be fun to hear the feedback and kind of see the patterns, um, of guys writing in and say, Oh, I used to pack this. And another guy also saying that same thing. So I would have loved to have your feedback from the listeners. Um, just send us an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. 
let us know what you used to bring that you figured out you don't need. Um, and yeah, I'd love to hear it, but any other thoughts on that, Steve? Yeah. I'll try to think when my, my first backpacking trips, um, well, the really, the first, first one was like literally a Cabela's pack frame with a, I think there was, um, I can't remember the name of the company. Oh, it's Camelback. I had this Camelback pack that was kind of my day hunting pack. And so I had this four pound pack strapped to a five pound frame and had just nine pounds of backpack going into my hunt. Right. But yeah. at the time, it's like kind of what you needed. Like, is all right, if I'm going to go in there, I, I clearly can't pack out an elk with this Camelback. So I need a, a pack frame and I had no choice but to bring both of them. Um, but besides that, I, I think the only mistakes i made um would be extra clothing i used to pack extra Mm -hmm. underwear probably too many extra pairs of socks extra shirts and definitely remember packing extra pants just thinking oh if i get i get wet it's gonna be a big deal you know i need extra pants um and so i that kind of whittled down and then the weight has dropped over the years but that's just been through chipping away at getting better gear you know early on didn't have a whole lot of money. So it was every, every year I would take like my REI dividend and use their 20% off coupon. And that'd be my one big gear purchase. So one year it was a tent, uh, that, I think that Marmot tent that you may or may not still have. Oh, I still um, have it. Then, yeah. <laughs> then I, um, so that was one. The next year was a sleeping bag. Uh, the next year, I remember one of them was I bought that MSR hyperflow water filter that ended up being a pile of junk, you know, but it was a hundred something bucks. So I was able to save some money buying that at a, a sale price. And um, so just, it took me four or five years to kind of get these lighter and lighter items that all of a sudden my pack started dropping weight, but really it's the, yeah, the fears were food and clothing and then the extra gear or the, the weight came from just, you know, improving my gear over time then food was, I never track, I never counted calories or tracked calories. And that's just an absolute must. Like there's just no way to approximate. You're just going to overpack or potentially underpack. And that was what I was running into was there was trips where like I'd, you know, four day trip and middle of day three, I'm like almost out of food because I just wasn't paying attention. And it's so critical to count your calories. You know, I'd say, just as a ballpark, 3,500 a day, really rough number. Some guys may need four. Some guys can get away with three, uh, but uh, definitely between three and four. And then put them in separate baggies. And it also, doing the separate bags allowed you to, uh, allowed me to make sure that I do eat all those calories. Because there's days you're just kind of active and busy and hunting and you just, you aren't hungry, right? You're just into elk for four, five, six hours and you don't eat at all. And, kind of, you know, you sit down at four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon, taking a little break for a second. You go, holy crap, I haven't ate anything. Your body needs those foods. Like you need the calories and, and that energy. So you better choke some of that stuff down, uh, even though you're not hungry and that's going to help you, you know, the day after the day after that. Um, so those on the food, that's definitely been a critical thing for me. Yeah. Those are good points. I think you're right. As I think about it, thinking back food, clothing were definitely some of the big ones for me. And those tend to be you know, potentially just the heaviest, bulkiest items, period. So if you have too much in those categories, that's that's potentially a lot of weight right there for sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you could easily go five to 10 pounds over on food and, and clothes in a heartbeat. So yeah. the other thing I suggest, which I think I've mentioned before, is jump on Amazon and buy a $10 digital scale and just have that 
you know, you just set it on a table, you, you put a box on it, you turn the, push the power button on, it'll zero out uh, with the box. And then, you know, you got like two choices of shirts, sweaters, coats, whatever, drop each one in the box and see what it weighs. You know, sometimes if you're truly trying to trim weight down, you'd be surprised that one jacket is 25 ounces and the next one's 17 ounces. And you just start choosing all these lighter things. And all of a sudden you get to, to, you know, frankly, where I'm at, where my day pack is 16 ish pounds or my backpacking packs around 16 pounds. And I've got everything I need in there. Another one, this isn't gear by any means, but as we were thinking of food, it made me think of water. And what I used to do early on was just by default, always fill up my water bladder. Um, and that was a three liter bladder. And then kind of realized there's a lot of areas I've hunted where water is just plentiful. Like it's just readily available. And so packing around three liters of water, when you're crossing water all the time, is just not worth it. Right. Like carry a liter, make sure you're still drinking. But if you're in areas that are wet and it's easy to find water, you have a good water filter. That's quick, man. I'd just carry a liter, a liter and a half and drink a ton and just fill up a ton, take that quick break. And if you have an, an efficient water filtration system, it's really not a big deal to just kind of keep topping off as needed. Uh, versus carrying around an extra one to two liters of water that's weight that you honestly don't need. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think one of the key words there is an efficient water filter, like that MSR hyperflow I mentioned, you know, it was like a 10 minute process. Once you found a stream to sit there and pump away and fill up a three liter bladder. But once you kind of tore everything apart and got that thing out, you didn't want to, to, uh, just fill up a liter and have to redo it again in three or four hours. So, mm-hmm. uh, having that efficient filter or yeah, really that any type of the squeeze filters out there that we've mentioned where you have a dirty water bag, it just makes things so nice. Cause if you, you come across something and a little stream, even you're in the middle of a hunt, you don't have time to filter it. You just fill that thing up, throw it in your pack and, you know, filter it later, which is it's just such a handy system. Speaking of Steve, you cost me 35 bucks the other day. Oh, did you buy that uh, platypus <laughs> one? <laughs> I did. Yeah. It looks impressive, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to buy one too and just check it out and compare it with that kid and be free. That's, you know, they're so stinking cheap. Like I said, nowadays it's, it's like two or three dinner meals is, you know, that you're spending every single night with some of the dehydrated meals or 12, 14, 15 bucks. Yeah. You mentioned it, you know, a week or two ago, but then sent me that kind of follow-up video the other day and showed some of the features. And I was like, gosh, dang it. All right. I'm doing it. So we'll talk, we'll talk more about that. Supposedly it's going to be fast. It's self-cleaning. One of the cool things that you kind of text me about is it has a built-in function check to kind of check the integrity of uh, the howl fiber and make sure it's truly still filtering. Um, So if you guys haven't yet, it's uh, the new, the new filter from platypus. It definitely has you know, taking a Sawyer squeeze or similar filter, um, and kind of improving on it in some ways, uh, supposedly we'll see, right. We'll see how it performs in the field. Yeah. That's always the the true test, get it and perform in the field. But that it has a, if you watch the video on it, which I just stumbled on, I don't know where maybe they emailed it to me or something like that, but it has a way to check if the filter is, um, not filtering correctly anymore, which is really cool. Cause it's, definitely a very real and legit criticism of the Sawyer is if it freezes and the filter is no longer you know, perfectly functioning, you have no idea. Um, so mm-hmm. having that built in check, it's, it's pretty unique. Um, cool. This, uh, this next question from a listener is again, I, I love questions like this cause it's nothing I would necessarily think to talk about, but uh, he he wrote in and says, do you have any tips or tricks for dealing with your bow and quiver overnight 
especially in a small tent or bivy. And if the weather's bad, I'm new to bow hunting in the backcountry, so I'm not sure what I might need to be aware of or may overlook on this topic. Yeah. Don't overthink it. I, you know, forever, all oh, my bow has to be in my vestibule. I'd say nine out of 10 times. I find the nearest tree that's got some limbs on it and just hang it off of a limb. Um, you know, where there's like pine needles above it. So it's, if it is raining, it's not going to get doused. But if you, you think about like, oh, my bow needs to stay dry with me in the tent tonight. I mean, like when you're out hunting, it gets absolutely soaking wet anyway. So you're not really saving anything, uh, saving the bow from anything. Um, so yeah, I just forever. Yeah. It went in my vestibule and, and now I just stick it outside the tent. And typically I'm in the tarp and bivy sack and just, yeah, find a bush tree, whatever, throw it up. Um, I think there's, uh, kind of along those lines, but not really is when I'm going to be in inclement weather, I'll pack a trash bag in the pack and you know that allows me if needed. Um, and that like put the tarp set up to throw my pack and boots and stuff inside the trash bag. I've never put my weapon in there, but that kind of reminded me of throwing mm-hmm. that trash bag in just to kind of an easy, just throw it away. It's hardly anything and just throw it over stuff just to, uh, keep it dry when, um, you know, that could be an issue. And that's really only, you know, because of the, the tarp where if the wind comes or the wind's blowing and it's raining, that's can kind of come in sideways into the edges of the, of the structure of the shelter. Yeah. Same for me. It's usually find a tree or, uh, even not hanging it, but just setting it at the base of a tree is just essentially getting it under some cover to prevent frost or dew or what have you, or, you know, if it's rain, just kind of minimize that. But as you said, don't overthink it. Your bow's out in the elements all the rest of the time you're hunting. So it can be out there overnight as well. Yeah. Um, just, uh, remember to look for sap. <laughs> yes. I think one, one day I hung it on a limb and then there was sap on the tree and I went to grab my bow the next day and there was just sap all over the handle. This was a few years back. I was like, yeah, son of a stuff's kind of hard to get off when you're out there. Yeah. I mean, another thing you just like random stuff that comes to mind there. I typically, um, won't leave my release out. Right. So if you depend on what type of release you're using, there's still some sort of mechanical mechanism and you potentially wouldn't want that to get wet and then freeze. And so if you're the guy who, when you take your release off your bow, and I know you do this a lot, Steve is just clip it onto your bow. So it's either on you or it's on the bow. That's fine. But maybe if the weather's bad, consider throwing that in your pack or somewhere else, just so, um, you're not getting the mechanism, um, frozen or anything like that in the release. And then, one thing I try to do just in general, um, this isn't necessarily due to the bad weather, but, uh, is just draw the bow every once in a while, right? Like while you're on your hunt, come to full draw, not only to keep you ready, but just to, you know, if you do have something in your bow or it's frosted over or something like that, maybe, uh, a good reason I do this too, is just almost a function check to make sure, you know, the peep's still there. It's still rotating correctly or what, you know, in the right position, I uh, didn't bust a sight pen or don't have something in my sight picture or what have you. So just, you know, coming to full draw with the bow during a hunt is going to, you know, keep you ready and make sure your release is ready, make sure everything's kind of ready on your bow and that you're not coming to full draw on an elk or a deer and then discovering, oh crap, my peeps messed up. My sights messed up. My rest is messed up, what have you. So that's yeah, that, somewhat of a related tip. It's, there. Uh, it's funny. I learned that from uh, Charlie Perry, who we, uh, we haven't released a podcast yet, but on our expert roundtable series, I remember hunting with him back when I was, you know, 18, 19 years old. And he'd just be like 
like we were just walking through the elk woods and i think we'd taken a break and all of a sudden he's at full draw and i'm like freaking out thinking like what's going on the freaking elk here and no he was just knocked an arrow drew back you know it was just checking everything and what i've found is um talk about like that article we just posted on the website i think kirchner wrote it about you know like the one shot kind of practice Mm -hmm. right like um you do need a couple shots to kind of warm up especially if it's cold in the morning and just kind of get those muscles going so i'll i'll do that all the time especially when it's cold knock an arrow come to full draw i'll pick a little you know tiny leaf or limb at 50 yards hold my pin on it kind of go through my whole shot process of doing everything but obviously not squeezing the trigger and then just let down and it's just great to kind of warm up the muscles and then I, I'll, I'll use that as an opportunity to kind of visualize uh, a scenario right like uh, oh man there's a you know just kind of in my head there's an elk walking by he's going to stop right there and squeeze the trigger and um, yeah there's it's a I think very beneficial to do that yeah this is a, a random question Steve I thought was maybe interesting to touch on um, this guy wrote in and says do you guys ever get burnt out and or too stressed prepping training or hunting what, if anything, do you guys do to relax or decompress? Do you ever need any time away from hunting? Uh, I thought the timing of that was interesting because a lot of guys are obviously in the middle of prepping, training, what have you. Um, for me, I don't get stressed out by doing it. I get stressed out finding the time to do it, right? Because mm-hmm. for us, summers are so busy. It's like, God, I want to be shooting my bow more. I want to be yeah. doing this. I want to be doing that. Um I don't get stressed out by the process of needing to do it. It just, it's finding the time. I still enjoy all of it. And I think a lot of this, you know, if guys are stressed out by the idea of preparing for hunting, training for hunting, it's, it's just a mindset shift, man. Like choose to enjoy it, choose to enjoy not only the hunt itself, but all the components that lead up to it. And just in the end, like, don't take it way too seriously. Right. I mean, you just, remember that you're doing this because you supposedly enjoy it and you want to have a bunch of fun. And I think it's a, a big factor of mindset, but, uh, I don't, I think, I think it's been the case even for you, Steve, being in the industry so long where I feel like I see you get too stressed out or kind of burnt out on hunting. No, not at all. I think you're shooting a boat. Like you said, sometimes, um, years past, maybe getting my, if going to shoot my broadheads, right. And maybe delaying that you know, pushing it into like late July. And then all of a sudden maybe you're not getting good flight or having issues that can be kind of a pain in the ass, uh, trying to like deal with tuning and getting your bow dialed in. And then more specifically, like you said, finding the time to do it. Um, you know, I'd try to sneak away for lunch or go early morning and uh, before work, something like that. Uh, so that's definitely uh, and something that comes to mind for sure. But when, when the bow's shooting good and just practicing, that's great. And then I, I will say I do get like the night before a big trip for whatever reason is just kind of stressful getting the pack dialed in. I've learned to, <laughs> to really start that process, you know, weeks before. Um, but now it's, you know, uh, obviously I'm just crazy fortunate with the amount of uh, gear, you know, we get sent to us and stuff like that. And it's almost, um, oh, I don't know what the word would be, but I have too many choices. Right. So it's like, all right, do I take the you know, this jacket or that jacket or these pants or that pants or um, just kind of very spoiled in that regard of like just trying to figure out the stuff it seemed to be simpler before when it was just like all right this is my jacket this is my pair of pants this is my water filter whatever um so now i've got uh yeah con- confusion by too many decisions i guess something like that but <laughs> yeah uh, but i i always def- if it gets to that point i default default to um okay just go through my gear list 
start at the top. All right, here's my pack. Here's my bladder. Here's my filter. Here's my bag. Um, and just start checking those lists off and, and throwing the items in the pack and be good. So, but it's, you know, I, I can see, cause like for me going up to Alaska, I think it's very similar to you on your going out to Pound Elk in Colorado, you're leaving your, your house, you're a long ways away. Gear decisions become a little bit more important and critical. Uh, mm-hmm. You want to make sure you got everything right. And so it's, it's a little stressful that night before packing, but again, just try to start that process, excuse me, uh, weeks in advance. And uh, that'll make that a little easier and do that. Uh, don't be the dude who shows up to the trailhead, like Tyler Crockett with like <laughs> everything's in a yard sale on the back seat. And all of a sudden you got to spend an hour packing out the trailhead, uh, get your stuff. Like I like to have my pack completely loaded water, everything the night before. And that way, when I get to the trailhead, it's simply a matter of grab my pack, grab my weapon, start hiking. And that, that definitely makes the experience nicer. Yeah. Like I started doing that, uh, what you're talking about packing, you know, days and honestly for me, weeks in advance, just not intentionally. I just noticed myself doing it. Like I would think of something and yes, I have a written gear list and what have you, but it's like, Oh, I'll go, go, let me go grab that and start. I just by nature end up starting a pile of stuff. Right. Um, and then essentially two weeks before a trip, that pile's growing, stuff's physically coming together. And my office slash gear room is usually a giant mess for two weeks leading up to a trip and things like that. So it, that is definitely for me reassuring just to see that pile, to have the gear there. And it allows me to kind of take my mind off of it a bit. Um, so yeah, definitely a good, good idea there. All right. Well, that's a, yeah, that's a good wrap for this one. We got a bunch more questions. We'll be hitting all summer. Um, as you mentioned, Steve, even that expert roundtable series we got coming, uh, it's going to be a great podcast series coming. We have another elk project uh, coming to the podcast that we can't quite talk about, but very cool things coming this summer. Um, as always, guys, if you have any questions for us, send that email to podcast at xmountaingear.com. Uh, also going back to what we chatted about earlier, if there's something that sticks out in your mind or several things that you used to bring that you no longer do, we'd love to hear your feedback on that. So again, just send us that email. Uh, and finally, if you haven't yet hit that subscriber follow button in your podcast app to receive future episodes automatically, that'd be great. You'll get those and we'll talk to you soon.